0: Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffinroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm gonna be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. <laughs> so serious. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. And today is a unique episode. I've dragged my husband here. And we are going to share our story, our story of adoption and uh, our story of raising kids with reactive attachment disorder. We've done 25 episodes so far. This is episode 26 and a friend of mine and another rad mom convinced me that it was time for us to share our story. So uh, I'm going to introduce you to my husband, James. Say hi, James.
1: Hello. How are you guys? (laughs)
0: <laughs> and we'll just, I don't know where this is gonna go. We're just gonna gonna tell our tell our story. When we were gonna adopt, what what did you think that life was gonna be like? I'm just curious.
1: When I think about it, I figured it would be like, okay, we're gonna have a couple of uh because we were looking for a sibling group. Right. And say so I was like, okay, we're gonna have a couple of kids. I'm gonna say they're gonna be a little bit older, maybe a little bit. Uh, younger, but they're not going to be babies, probably. So I figured it was going to be just like any childhood uh, and parent scenario. You know, you raise them from the age uh, from a baby up, but we would just, we'd get to skip the the part of having to change diapers and having to go through the sleepless nights. So I thought that's not a bad you know, not a bad trade-off and it would just be, it would just be normal. It wouldn't, I never would have thought anything about the situation that we, but I figured it'd just be like us, me and my sister growing up or, you know, hearing about the stories that you would say about your childhood.
0: It would just be. Typical childhood. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I really just thought the same thing. I thought we would, we liked the idea of a sibling group because we were, a little on the older side and starting late. But yeah, same thing. I had all of these dreams of what it was going to be like. And some of those dreams, like I noticed recently with graduation and prom and everything, I always pictured with our kids, especially our daughter, because she's older. I guess I just pictured shopping for the prom dress and helping her get ready and it being this really positive experience but that's not happening at all so maybe we should tell everybody who so we adopted a sibling group like James is saying and we were a bit older and so uh, we just figured it was better to skip skip a few things and we didn't mind the idea of an infant and we also knew that we didn't we weren't really capable of maybe a a lot older. So we ended up adopting a sibling group of two, a boy and a girl. And our son was two and a half and our daughter was nine when they came to us. And I don't know if you remember this, James, but this is the most telling thing. So we adopted within the state. And so we went through child youth and families or we did all of the, adoption, foster care training. And that was like, was it every Saturday all day for weeks and weeks?
1: (laughs) It was, it was every Saturday for, I think almost a month. It felt like maybe it was six weeks. I feel like it was long. It was quite a bit of information. You have to, we'd have to get there like eight and we didn't leave till five. Yeah. Yeah. So they jammed a lot of information in.
0: Do you remember learning about reactive attachment disorder? Was there any training for it? Do you remember anything?
1: I do remember them talking about scenarios where there are issues with the kids attaching and stuff like that and things to look out for, like one that would be attaching too fast or one that's not attaching at all. But at the same time, my memory also could be playing tricks on me and that might be something that happened in therapy right years later.
0: (laughs) Do you remember all I remember is being at the trainings, the Saturday trainings. And I remember a couple that had adopted, I remember whoever was leading the course, they introduced a couple and they shared about, and from what I remember, I think it was that they were raising kids with some type of attachment issue. I don't know if it was reactive attachment, but I remember, them sharing a little bit, but I don't remember what it was. That's all I remember from it.
1: Now that you say that, I do remember a couple that came in and uh, talked about uh, their daughter that they had. Right. And how great things were.
0: Oh, okay. But that
1: was great now. But there was a lot of problems before that. I do remember, I think uh, that that talk during our, uh, our training.
0: Okay. So I think that's what happened, but you're right. It ended on a happily ever after note. So, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I was also in a really excited, not really a honeymoon phase, but just so excited about doing the work and getting through that course so that we could move on and be, getting calls about kids that we could adopt did you feel like that
1: I did I was excited I was nervous I was scared (laughs) because it was just like oh my gosh we're going to be parents yeah when this course is over it's going to be like the next week we could have kids and yeah so it was a lot of things going on at the same time
0: do you feel like you soaked in all the information or did that kind of I don't know I don't
1: think so I think it because of how fast it went. Yeah, it was kind of in. You learned what you had for the day, but right. at the end of it, it was probably it probably all left you by the following morning when you woke up.
0: Yeah, it was a lot to take in. Yeah, but I think I, I'm glad to hear I don't remember much on the attachment piece of it the thing that I remember, I know telling a story is tough and we're not going to be able to tell every piece of it. So I'm just going to skip to the parts that are really memorable for me and maybe talk about what was memorable for you, uh, what happened and maybe some advice or things that helped us get through. But the, the one thing I remember is for people who haven't adopted, but most of us have for listeners out there, when you do it through the state, you you get a caseworker. and so you have these, you have these certain courses to go through. So we did the six Saturdays, eight hours a day, and it was just loaded. We had a huge, a huge, the biggest binder that you can think of or imagine that's what was full of information that we went through. And it was really well done. I thought, but you also meet with this uh, caseworker who comes into your home and you fill out, ours was called a safe survey. And so they go through in detail, you know, everything about your life, my life. And there's a big list of disabilities or special needs that you really think about and check off, whether it's something you feel capable or of handling or something that you would be able to work with in your home or not. And What I remember at that time was our state was going through a huge turnover of staff. There was another company who moved in and they were really enticing the social workers from CYFD to, is it CYFD? Yeah. Yeah. CYFD to come and work for them. And so we went through a couple of caseworkers and so... But I remember being so, so excited. And the one thing I remember being really hard for me to say, because I w- I didn't want anything to stand in my way. I just wanted that family instantly. So it, I can be impulsive, but you know, you would think you wouldn't be impulsive with something like this. And I wasn't, I really had boundaries. So the one thing that I remember saying was, we didn't, my, I didn't mind the age as long as there wasn't a connection to the bio parents. And I was really detailed about that. Anybody that was attached or still in contact, we really went for, you know, most state adoptions are open where there's a connection with the family. And I knew I would not be capable of that. I just knew it and it would just set us up for disaster. So I remember it being really difficult for me, but I kept saying that is the deal breaker for me. That is the one thing among the things we put on that list that we felt we couldn't cope with. Yeah. I just, that was what I remember going in.
1: Right. I remember that.
0: You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any, or were you pretty open besides the list of, you know, disabilities and special needs?
1: I think I was pretty open. Just the, uh, just the stuff that we had discussed that we just, we weren't capable of handling.
0: Yeah. 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 And I guess really, we didn't know that they're like, when you were talking at the beginning about what you expected being a parent is we thought it was going to be this typical, oh, age doesn't really matter because right. Just like everybody tells you and what you believe before rad (laughs) is that you just think we're going to love them. They're going to be in a really great environment, enriching, and they're going to get lots of love and support. That's all they need. Right. So I don't think we even thought that age could be an issue, except I did have that instinct of, I knew I couldn't handle being, it's terrible to say, but being second, you know, or just having to compete with another relationship. Here's what I find interesting is we were told do you remember, actually, I'm going to ask you, what do you remember them describing? So let's say they find a potential sibling group for us. Do you remember what they said about what was going to happen? Like how the transition from wherever they were to us worked?
1: I do. They told us that it would be a visit,
0: right? Like an
1: hour or something like that. And then it would be like a a day type of thing. And then maybe a sleepover. And then I think at that point, if everything continued to go well, that that's when we would say that they could come and live in the house, but it right. would be a tra- uh, it would be multiple visits before we would have them living there.
0: <laughs> right. And tell me, James, did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Close. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not even close. No, all I remember is we were on our way to DC for the uh, three day walk for cancer. And uh, we were just pulling, pretty much pulling out of the driveway. And they had called in and asked us about what we had, if we could do this. And it's like, well, yeah, we can do this. But we're right now, we are literally on our way out of town and we won't be back for, I think it was like five or six days right so i remember coming back getting home we had to clean as soon as we got home and just you know tidy things make sure the rooms the room was wet ready for the kids i'm going
0: to interrupt you because you're right we did get that call so before that we had we had done respite for two kids and we knew that that wasn't a fit and then we had gotten a second call about to a set of twins that were infants. And here's the thing I find funny is that we said that we didn't want or weren't capable of handling, you know, uh what was the word for when they weren't sure what was going to happen, like you might end up fostering them but they a high risk adoption or a high risk foster. So we said we wouldn't do any of that. We had all these parameters laid out and all of our boundaries set, but we still got calls saying, hey, would you do this? And I know they've got to try, but I'm just surprised because the first two kids that we did respite for were definitely not a match. And clearly off of our survey, they had a disability that we said we weren't capable of working with. And then the second call was about those two high risk twins that it was unlikely that they were going to be adoptable. So I remember just all of that being weird. And then you're right. So we were supposed to have this very set gradual transition into the home. We get the call while we're in the driveway driving to DC or ready to head out. And it was for a boy and a girl, and it really did sound good, like a match, but They weren't going to give us any time because they had been in a foster family situation. So our daughter was with her biological mom until age seven and our son was three months and they got pulled from that family for neglect and abuse, whole history of stuff that you can imagine, right? Why kids get pulled. And then they went and lived with a foster family who was going to be their forever family, their foster family. Uh, to adopt home, their adoptive parents. And then now I know what the word disrupted means, but there was a disruption. Our daughter was in an altercation with one of their kids. And I remember at the time thinking, I don't understand why that is reason for this family to say, we no longer want our daughter. They wanted to keep our son. And then it doesn't work that way with CYFD. So, that was a situation that we get these, this call and our daughter had been put into respite and our son was still with that foster family. And then we get this call. So it's quite urgent. And I remember saying, well, we're we're gone for this amount of time. Well, when do you get back? And I remember saying the day that we thought we would be back in town and they were trying to literally drop off the kids, uh, that day. And I remember having to bargain for one extra full day because we didn't have a, a room set up. We didn't have beds. I remember we were ordering stuff as we were going, but, uh, they, we literally bargained for just that extra day. And I can't blame it all on CYFD because we were excited. It sounded like a perfect fit we didn't get much information. We didn't even really know why it's just something happened and they needed to be, this other family wasn't able to, you know, continue being fostered to adopt parents to the them. And, uh, you know, I guess just naive, right. It's exciting and they sound perfect. I didn't really, and I kind of put more blame on the foster mom thinking, well, that seems really, what's really the harsh. Word? really harsh yeah to what a yeah to to do that so anyway yeah so back to the how it's supposed to transition the the day visit and then maybe an overnight then maybe a weekend and all that did not did not happen
1: no not even close
0: we get back we're putting beds together we're putting everything together and then i remember they even showed up a half an hour early so i was at home you were still at work and I think I'd come home early. Maybe I even took the day off. Probably. Do you remember? I think you,
1: I think you took the day off just so yeah. that way that you could finish tidying up and making sure that everything was ready to go when they got there. Cause I had Wait. to go to work yeah. the day after we got back.
0: Right. So yeah. I remember vacuuming the couch. We have two dogs. And so, you know, you're trying to make everything so perfect and you were supposed to be home in that half hour. So we were going to be there together. It's just a gong show really a shit show from the start. (laughs) And so I see the state car pull up in the driveway and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm, this is happening. I'm here all alone. I've still got half of the couch to vacuum dog hair off of. And here they are, you know, these two kids getting out of the car with the state worker and, and coming up. And I do have to say, so I'm going to remind everybody what was my deal breaker? My deal breaker was, and I was reassured several, several, several times that I could not cope with a child that was connected at all to their family. And I don't know if you remember this, but our, the last worker we had, we didn't know very well. And, you know, I, I don't know, they've got to do what they've got to do, but I remember this vividly because I had told her, are you sure, you know, over and over again, especially since this was becoming real. And I remember her assuring me that they had not had contact with their biological dad because he was in prison, but, or well, our sons was anyway, there was Mm -hmm. no man in the picture, but that the biological mom, our daughter had not had any contact with her in years, none. Do you remember that, or is that just me? Okay.
1: Nope. I say because I remember that conversation that you had on the cell phone while we were driving with her. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Just really making sure. And so they come in. You know, I don't know if I texted or called you, but I remember you coming home and just from there, it's a blur, right? We're all adjusting. Right. Do you remember anything about the first night?
1: Hmm. The only thing I remember about the first night was it was tough for the kids. I remember they cried, uh, you know, new place, new, uh, people.
0: Do you not remember how our, our daughter cried though? Do you not remember that?
1: <laughs> I guess I don't remember. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what I remember, and maybe because this was my deal breaker, I remember our son wasn't really crying. Like he seemed to, and he attached to you right away. I remember him wanting to have, he wasn't, he was just like, eh, to me, right? So you hear about how kids don't bond with their mothers right away. That was definitely happening. He was not bonding to me, but he was okay with you. and. Right. You know, I think that's partly because he'd been with the foster mom for basically, you know, from three and a half months old to two, two and a half. So that bond had already been set. But I remember our daughter wailing, like wailing and wailing and wailing. And she was saying, I miss my mom.
1: Uh, Now that you say that, I do remember that. Yeah. And it was very hard to get her to calm down.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just... Just to be able to talk
0: to her. And I remember, so that's what I remember. And I remember from that point on over time learning that she had actually had contact with her bio mom and they had been doing visits, except not a few months leading up because her mom was then considered dangerous and it, that's why it ended up not being an open adoption and that's another reason why we agreed to it or I agreed to it because it was going to be closed there was going to be no further contact and you know unfortunately it's because her mom was so sick and and dangerous but um that's what i remember is thinking you miss your mom how what and i thought it might have been the foster mom and over time We learned. And I remember it wasn't long. Like when I say over time, it was maybe a week or whatever. We started putting the pieces together. And the thing that I remember for me, and you probably wouldn't have felt this because you didn't have that as a deal breaker, but I remember thinking, oh my God, like I am not going to be able to handle this. I told them I can't handle this. Why would they put me in this situation? I was honest with them you know, they weren't telling the truth. And I remember thinking, what do I do? I can't do this. But, and I always say this, I said this in other episodes, it's that ethical dilemma of holy crap. Like you, you can't just send this back like a bag of bad potatoes. Like we did the other night, right? Like or a shirt or a dress, like these are kids and we've made this commitment to take them in without really respecting the fact that, well, they weren't honest. This isn't a situation that I chose. And this is kind of on them, but you've got these kids in your house. Ugh. I just, I just remember them.
1: And I think we had multiple talks over that over yeah. the years. And it was just, you know, we, but they all always came down to is just like, their kids what do you, you can't like you said you can't send them home or you yeah. can't send them back like a a return unless they they need somewhere and obviously there wasn't many places for them because they were rushed to get them into even our house
0: yeah but I wasn't even thinking of there wasn't even any place for them there were that wasn't an option for me like and I didn't feel like I could you know it was shame I felt the shame that I couldn't handle it. And so, cause I was thinking, well, why wouldn't I have just called the caseworker, but I really felt like I would have been judged and that would have been a shameful thing. How dare you? Even though at the crux of it was dishonesty on their part, it had nothing to do with me, but just that suck it up. And oh my gosh, I would be a terrible person if I did this. And so, and so we just moved forward. And right. years and years and years of that crying and wailing every, well, the first year at least, yeah. right? Constantly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of our kids had reactive attachment disorder, but we had no clue, right? None.
1: Yeah. And of course, nobody would have said that we that that's what this happened that they were looking for, right. even the therapist that we were currently working with that the first, what, two years that they were with us. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And what do you remember being weird? Like in those early days, do you remember it feeling hard or, you know, I remember the crying at night from our daughter and the wailing and the missing. I remember our son just having a really hard time attaching and really just seemed, they both seemed really aloof. Like, if we went out for dinner, which was never, so we also lived thousands of miles away from any family. So we would try and use respite, but even in the big city we were in at the time, because a year later, we moved to a smaller town to kind of get away and start fresh. Um, we didn't have much respite. And, but when, and no, when we, we did, it was harder coming back to them because they were dysregulated and and just wild and off the charts but do you remember what was hard like in our house every day do you have any memories
1: i'm trying to think i know a lot of it for me was just the lack of respect for our stuff you know and i know that kids don't Always understand that, but somebody who's nine should have already started understanding those those things. They're always listening in to the conversations, always trying to put themselves in the middle of everything that was going on. I Remember that was hard. We never never got any time for ourselves until we put them to bed, and then even when we put them to bed, it seemed like <laughs> it would take them hours to go to yeah. sleep. At yeah. that point, it's just like you know, you should be tired from the day. Yeah. You know? Guys have so much going on all day long. Why are you still awake at 10 o'clock at night?
0: Right. And I remember our daughter being really clingy, like literally turning, like I would be standing in the kitchen, and it was like she was glued to my backside, and I wouldn't notice until I turned a little bit and you would feel her there. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, maybe they're just with the wrong family. Like maybe our daughter just needs that quintessential grandma, the roly poly kind of mum that wears the apron and is, you know, with you a hundred percent of the day. And now I know that wouldn't have helped either. But I remember dinners being really difficult, food being an issue. We would try and make like the favorite meals. Everybody else's was always better. You know, it was better at the foster family that they were at before. They made the best this or all that comparison that we were always living up to the wailing every right. night for her mom. Yeah. And the other thing too, when, if we, I was getting to, if we went away, coming back in the door, there was no, Hey mom and dad and run to you. It was mm-hmm. like when we left or when we came home, it just, there wasn't, I remember that feeling so weird. There was just no acknowledgement, like whatever.
1: You're here. Okay,
0: great. Yeah. Yeah. And I
1: remember that's something that's true too. Cause we even told them that, you know, you don't have to, call us mom and dad. You decide what you want, uh, what would be best for you. But I remember that was, they started calling us mom and dad really quickly. It seemed, it seemed odd that you would switch to that. It's just like, well, you've only been with us for, I think it was like two weeks at that point. And they were both calling us mom and dad. And that just, that seemed odd.
0: And we were having visits from the caseworkers. Do you remember what they said about that? I don't they said that we were doing a great job and that that was great. They're really attaching to you early, but that's actually not the case. That's not a good sign. That's too right. early. Something's wrong. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So those were early days and we didn't know what was happening. So we moved to a different town the year later
1: mm-hmm. and
0: started anew, and I go blank. I mean, I go blank. Cause all day long, you know, we had a little bit of therapy when we first got them, but again, nothing about reactive attachment disorder. It, I don't even know what we were doing to be honest. It was family therapy, but mm-hmm. they don't even, and that might just be my cluelessness of just being overwhelmed with everything. Hi listeners, I am so excited to tell you that there is a conference happening this summer for us, for you, RAD parents. It's called Navigating RAD 2021 and it's being hosted by RAD Advocates. The conference is gonna take place August 20th to 21st in Denver, Colorado. Registration is open. So hop on the website, radadvocates.org, sign up for the conference and check out their amazing lineup of who's going to be there, including other parents, just like you start making your travel plans to Denver the weekend of August 20th to 21st. I hope to see you there. I do remember being, and I think I've told this story before, but I remember we went on that family vacation or friends and family vacation back home One summer. And do you remember when our daughter got stung by the bee or the hornet? I remember being in the kitchen with friends and family. And I remember hearing this scream, this unbelievably, this unbelievably unique scream that was just horrendous. So I remember being in the kitchen and seeing everybody's faces, seeing everybody's faces immediately change, just this look of, what the f right just there you could see the wheels turning they had no your their brain could not register what that scream meant because they'd never heard it before but for us it still never felt good it, oh, it was awful uh but we at least knew what it was and so our daughter came running in she'd been stung by a bee uh and you know, two of the people are nurses. And so they, you know, loved her up and took care of her, whatever. But I remember talking later that night, we were sitting around after all the kids have gone to bed and just, um, telling everybody, imagine hearing that scream every night for about an hour or two hours before bed. That's been our last year. And that really hit home for them, just hearing it. And then imagining that, and that's what we lived with every night for year after year. And you're right. There was no consoling. There was nothing. And it was just, I don't know how to describe the craziness. I just remember trying to raise two kids with the the values and parenting that we grew up with, and then also trying everything else and never getting the response that other families were getting, Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And everything was always felt like everything was always over the top, you know, yeah. like the screen for the B. It yeah. was everything was always over dramatic and over over so, complicated for yeah. everything.
0: Everything. So over the top. And literally with everything. Literally with yeah. everything. And then I think where it really like when we moved to the small town. And our daughter was a little bit older. Our son basically just modeled everything after our daughter. And so that was hard to see because I do remember at times though, like I remember our daughter screaming and just saying, I want my mom. I want my mom. And I remember our son looking at her because I was standing there. I remember our son looking at her and looking at me and saying, but she's right here. She Mom's right here. And so- And so he kind of got it because he was younger, but where it got really hard was, I think the older than the next years to come. And especially, so our son was just really dysregulated and I just kind of equated as a spaz, right? Lying all the time, lying about everything, getting into everything. So they would always sneak and steal food
1: and stuff that she would always teach him to do.
0: Yeah. Right. And then she would be inappropriate with him and what she told him and what she taught him. But where it got hard was when just weird things were happening. Like I remember our daughter would start so social media, right. We decided though, when she was 12, we should maybe introduce a cell phone so that she could. We knew that right. Learning was hard for her or that she didn't have, she was more immature Right? They both were than most kids. And so I remember us talking and really agonizing over, do we do this? But every other kid, 12, 14 had a phone and we thought, well, this would be a great learning opportunity. And that was a <laughs> disaster. Right.
1: To say the least.
0: Lots of inappropriate things happening with that phone. So it got taken away, including, you know, inappropriate photos, inappropriate texts, causing fights, creating drama, egging other fights on between other people.
1: All within two months of having it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not even two months, a month.
0: Right. And having talks about it and it not, not working, but I'm going to jump back a bit because the, the first time I remember, I know we struggled and I know we struggled with 24 seven, just weird things happening from you know, lying to stealing things around the house, you know, stuff from me, whatever, all that and just weird things. But I remember she was getting old enough that she was talking about boys and she was interested in boys. So we weren't going to have too serious of a talk with her, but I remember this was a, a real like, whoa, what is happening moment? Because we had a really gentle, we made it fun. We're like, Hey, let's, let's talk. And, you know, we, this is an exciting time in your life. You know, you're getting interested in boys and there was a certain boy and we didn't say anything yet of any substance about it either. I think we just were leading into the talk and I just, we were upstairs and um, it switched. She just lost it. And that's the Mm. day when she was screaming uncontrollably. She was trying to hit and kick me, you, everything screaming. She was throwing things up. I mean, it was just crazy. And here's our son downstairs. We don't even know what's happening. What, what set this off, right? It made no sense. I remember kind of hugging her and sitting with her because I learned that from past experience. And I remember calmly whispering in her ear, you know, uh, just calm things like, just breathe, you know, you're okay. We're, we've got you. And she was just screaming, you know, you're not my parents. I didn't choose this. And I hate you. I don't care about you. All of that. But she was screaming and just at that high level of out of control, it didn't, it didn't lessen. Like, it, no,
1: for it was like a half hour, 45 yeah, minutes. I was
0: thinking 45 minutes. And I remember saying, uh oh, like we need to either get her to the hospital or we knew about a shelter that um, was helpful because they had therapists and stuff. And we live in a small town hospital. So having mental health staff on staff, especially you know later in the evening, like past dinner time when this is happening, I remember coming down with her. I don't know if you were coming down with her or me, but she was kicking, she kicked a plant pot and dirt went, fl- I mean, it was just, yeah. and then we had said, you know, we either need to take you to the hospital, which we knew she hated hospitals and or we need to take you to this shelter. We said the name of it. And I remember her just losing her mind even more, but we couldn't calm her down. And so we ended up taking her to the shelter or you did because the hospital wasn't an option. Later, we found out that she'd heard from kids that Parents who take their kids or end up at this shelter means their parents don't care about them, don't love them, which is interesting because I don't know if she really even cared about that, but yeah. And then she just went catatonic. I remember her just being staring off and listless and our son was on the couch. Our son was on the couch just in a balled up and eyes this big. And hmm. crying and not understanding what was going on. Like, that was the biggest, what is this?
1: Right. It was just like a, a snap and no yeah. clue what, how to pull her back.
0: Right. Yeah. And over something so minimal.
1: Yeah. And we hadn't even, you're right. We hadn't even got to a, any substance to what we were even going to discuss. It was just like the fact that we brought this boy's name up. Yeah. And it's right. just like set it off.
0: We did say the name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember, so if I'm like listing, so I remember lots of things. I remember constantly me noticing things like if you made dinner, it was great. If I made it, it wasn't good. Constant, just trying to push all your buttons. I remember weird things too. So like if you and I were walking hand in hand, she would try and come and literally use her body to shove us apart. Or if we were sitting side by side, she would sit in between us on top of our legs and jump up and down to try and break them apart. Right. And, you know, I remember she would say things about you to me when you weren't around to try and pin us against each other. And I did, she must've done that with you
1: think she used to. And I was just like, I think I must've, I don't know, maybe I put it into it pretty quick. Cause it was just like, well, mom can do what she wants.
0: Yeah. Well, we were a pretty strong team on that and had yeah. to stick together, but what other things do you, oh, and that one I remember, which was so weird. It was always about like, that look like uh-uh, he's mine. There was a competition, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I remember the weirdest one for me was when we were, at a big event up in Canada and we, we were in the stands where there's all the chairs. And I remember her laying across you, like somebody would lay across like a boyfriend or something and just hanging off you. And I remember not knowing why I, but it was so uncomfortable to see, but I just knew, you know, in my heart, I was like, well, is it really a big deal? You know she's bonding but you just had that gut sense like this is just weird right right and i remember asking you about it and you didn't really think anything of it
1: no and i i think at that point because by that point we were starting to get some therapy and stuff like that and it was all about giving as much love and you know affection and understanding of the of the situation And I think, you know, and everybody kept saying and telling us, and we knew it, that she was not, even though she was whatever age at that point, you might as well go ahead and knock four or five years off. Right. She wasn't there yet.
0: So treat her like she's younger.
1: I kind of treated her more like I would treat our son. Right. To try and help provide the love and the affection and the understanding and try to work through all that. But at that point, the therapists were telling us to do is we just give more love, give more love.
0: Right. Yeah. And you're right about that. And I like that perspective because I didn't see that. I just saw weird. And I remember when I pointed it out to you, because I think she was about 14 at that time. And I remember giving you an example of friends of ours and their 14 year old son and asking you to imagine him doing that to his mom. (laughs) And you were horrified. Like the light bulb went on like, Ooh, that isn't right. Because yeah, you were in therapy brain mode, right? Like we're supposed to do that, which is really good actually, but it's that balance of, you still have to balance maybe that stuff when you're in public with the norms too. Right. And, and teaching that. Right. Yeah. I just, for me, I remember ours wasn't really necessarily scary like I do know as she became more of a teenager the oh just the hate in her eyes for me like literally the hate over simple things you know and that's the thing too like what was so hard to understand was so our daughter started running away and it was over things like, please fold your laundry or clean your, you know, it's time to tidy up your room. You know, new week is starting. Let's, you know, do that. And just, again, hysterical and and running away and calling a friend and ending up at the shelter again. and But I do remember the anger starting to turn into uh, walking by me and giving me a hard shoulder check a couple of times. I mean, just so it was starting to escalate and finding knives under the sink and it was actually our son so he's they're seven years apart and he would find the knives and I remember him asking me one day it's funny and it's not funny but asking if we should call the police and he knew it was his sister but he also knew it was wrong so this poor kid his brain is like what do we do this is dangerous yeah this is weird and scary and so yeah so those things were escalating and just constantly hearing, she doesn't love us. We're not family constantly running. Like she ran away three times. And, but just the daily, like I'm having a hard time. I think when you go to tell your story, your brain goes into protective mode where it does go in protective mode, but like, what did you see? So as the, as the mom, right, I was always the target. And so And it was really 24 hours a day. So it was anything from if I'd written her a nice card, you know, you try and do all the things from therapy to sending her to camp to positive cards in, you know, her bag and uh, you just do all the things. But, you know, I would find my card in the garbage can or, you know, if she went somewhere, anything that we gave her would stay back. There was no attachment to it. And and the glares and stealing and the shoulder checks and always trying to tear us apart, you know, like I was describing and whether it was looks or, um, just words, just the, the manipulation and the triangulation, but it just grates on you. And, but it would happen and it was really, um, covert, you know, the dinner, if I made it, it wasn't good enough. It was literally almost every moment. Right. And I can't even remember all the things, but you know, that didn't happen to you. Did you see it happening or were you just kind of oblivious to it? I mean, I know we talked about it, so you didn't know about it to some degree, but what was it like for you?
1: You know, and I guess I didn't see it as much. I know because we talked about it all the time, (laughs)
0: <laughs> at different points
1: for the different stuff that was happening yeah, yeah. but it, it seemed like it got so much worse once uh she had to be homeschooled right because of situations at school and not right. pulling her weight in the grades and trying to get her on track with just right getting her into the right uh grade level really yeah and say but as kid. Soon as,
0: Smart kid, but you're right about the school because she was not getting along with teachers. And I remember going to a meeting with her drama teacher and being so embarrassed that I believed our daughter. I just took it at face value. And we went and met with the principal and the drama teacher, thinking this drama teacher wasn't so cool or fair with a certain situation. And then the drama teacher cleared that up for me in a few sentences. And I remember just thinking, whoa, like that was a wake up call, but relationships and friends, so inappropriate, so inappropriate, and always trying to work through that. I mean, we sent her to that camp of, I mean, just the most positive peer models. And she still found the one kid that had severe depression, was suicidal, you know, that's what we dealt with mostly was the, the suicide and the running away and the triangulation and the manipulation all the time. But Mm -hmm. sorry, you just brought me back to all the school issues. I mean, everything was an issue, everything all all day long, whether it was school, whether she was at a friend's house, whether, I mean, there was always something. we were always on guard.
1: All right. To the point of having parents showing up, At her birthday parties uh (laughs) because of problems and say having parents show up to talk to me at my place of work because of something that she did while at a sleepover and their
0: child being fearful right right i remember that at her birthday party the parent walking right in they knew exactly where her party was going to be held and she was with all her friends and you and i were there with our son as well and I remember seeing that parent walk right in, just balls out right into the party. Mm-hmm. We took her outside and had a talk and, nope. right? and her son was afraid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And all this time, we didn't know what was happening, right? Like we just right. kept trying to do every parenting technique that we could. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we grew up in a totally different style of parenting than what's required for a rad kid.
0: Yeah. We didn't even know. I mean, we were trying to modify our parenting, but just not to rad. We didn't know. Right. As a dad, what was it like for you? I mean, you didn't experience, so we're, we're tight. Our relationship really strained because And I don't think we even knew it was because everything we were doing was talking about her walking on eggshells. I remember hiding. So all those self-protective things, I remember feeling so guilty, but coming in, the things that helped me were hiding, hiding upstairs in our bedroom and feeling guilty that she was down there. But at the same time, I'm thinking you're this age. I can't, I don't know why I can't handle you. I feel guilty and just needing that time, but then struggling with the guilt. And I remember early on when the kids came to us and we were having a hard time finding respite. And at the time we couldn't even leave the kids with family members or friends, not that we had any family close, but we did have friends locally. And, um, but they weren't trained because they weren't, adopted yet so they were foster kids so in order to provide or stay at somebody's house, so you're sending them to another stranger's house that maybe has foster training rather than with people that know you and they've interacted with in our house and it just that i remember being so bizarre but i right. remember we moved to the small town we're in now And I remember needing weekends away and I felt guilty about it, but I had to take off. And I remember thinking, again, you don't know what's happening, but I remember thinking, why do I feel like I have to get away? Like, this is your family. This is what you've wanted. Are you just so introverted or is what is happening? I just put it all on myself and felt so guilty, but I also knew that I was not gonna survive. I had I needed that time. And often all I would do is sleep.
1: That's right. And I remember remember a lot of your trips where you would get up and you pretty much just hang out at wherever you were at. You didn't even go out for
0: Mm-mm.
1: for dinners or have friends with you. It was just you decompressing.
0: Yeah, decompressing. But what was it like for you as a dad? Cause you didn't have all those things coming at you all day long. Like what did you, did you feel like things were normal? I know that we talked about stuff and I was getting to our marriage about just managing everything. Everything was about walking on eggshells and always constantly worrying about her, what she needed, what she was going to do next. What do we do? So there was it was just like a business we were running handling this person right exactly and our and son was similar too and but that was more spazzy so that was just more chaos and crazy but he was tiny and so that also was a lot going on in the background
1: you know i think uh more than likely i kind of i think i kind of shut down and treated it like a business you know we got to be here at this time. We got to be here at this time. We got to make dinner, dishes, cleaning. And I don't think I ever really gave myself through those years time to really even feel just because it was just so much, always chaos constantly. I think it was just more of a, we've got a schedule. Let's just make the schedule happen by nine ten o'clock at night. You and I are both wiped out anyways, go to bed, hop back up and, basically repeat.
0: So you tried implementing structure, just get us in a routine, make the thing, same thing happen every day. Right. You just wanted to control the situation.
1: Exactly. As much as you can, right. right. Say so, no. <laughs> so, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it ever really worked, but <laughs> right.
0: it didn't, it didn't. No, it didn't. So,
1: but that was something else. You know, I remember that was Part of it right that was part of the therapy too you know high structure make sure right. that everything happens in the same order every single day yeah and that didn't even help us no so but i think that was kind of where i went to and i just you know that stuff with when she would freak out it was, i think it was just like all right well let's wait a minute see if she can calm down long enough for us to have a conversation. Like you goodness, were able obviously. to do
0: that. See, that would trigger me and just get me so agitated. Yeah,
1: And I think that's what I, I would just, I think my body would disconnect from the situation and just wait. It didn't always work Yeah, because I would be triggered at times too, you know, and things that she would do that would just be completely off the wall. And
0: what kind of things do you remember?
1: I don't know. I'm going to say, cause yeah. I think once it happened and say, I was, I think at that point I was just so mad usually Mm -hmm. that your brain just kind of pushes it to the side and you just, I forget about it.
0: I remember being embarrassed thinking about the neighbors. We live pretty remotely, but the neighbors are still within earshot. And I remember just thinking, what are they going to think because our daughter would would scream and be outside screaming. And it just wasn't normal. The situation never matched the reaction. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website, at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.